welcome back to the Ornithopter Flight Academy. I'm your host, Brendan, here, episode 25, with my co-host, Josh. Josh, how are we doing today? I'm hot. It is warm here in northern Michigan this week. It is toasty outside. I am very happy that I got my AC in. Also, I misspoke. I apologize. This is episode 26. Um, I'm probably too lazy to edit that out, so we'll just change that right now. But yeah, it's a nice, toasty, warm beginning to, or end of spring going into summer um, here in northern Michigan. What you been up to? You been playing any Magic? I've been playing a little bit of Commander. Did some Commander with some buddies last weekend. Plan on doing some more this weekend, too. Actually been building some uh, low to mid-power decks uh, without a lot of the staples, because I didn't have enough to build multiple decks out of them. And it's actually been quite a bit of fun playing without you know things you're used to, like Soul Ring and Mana Crypt and Fetch Lands and Dual Lands. Right. Like... Uh downing the power level it's kind of cool that's one cool thing about commander is you just get to play with more cards sometimes um so that's always neat but yeah um i have finally ended my they ended vintage cube yesterday um i can't believe i probably did 20 drafts 30 20 did a bunch i did a whole lot got a couple trophies in there um Drafted a lot of cool decks, so it was worth it. And now I've been trying to figure out what I want to do next, um, which lately, for whatever reason, has been playing standard. So I guess we should start there. Last week, we talked about um, the upcoming bannings that happened this past Monday and what we thought they were going to be. Um, we were close-ish. I guess before we get into it, we can just list off uh, what was banned. Uh, Fabled Mirror Breaker, the most obvious one, as we said, was banned. Invoke Despair, which I mentioned as a side note, got banned. And Reckoner Bankbuster. Um, thoughts on the bannings and standard moving forward, Josh? Fable and Bankbuster were no surprise at all. Uh, I thought they had a chance to hit Shielded as well, but they chose not to. And uh, your Dark Horse was Invoke, which they did hit. So good job on that pick. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of people don't like playing against that card. Um, they didn't really get into all the reasons with it. Uh, I think the new Chandra becoming very popular with it has been part of it. Um, also, it... You, oh, this opens diversification for decks theoretically, because you don't have to pay, play a, you know, four black pip card in your deck. You can play Jund. You can play other colors now. So I think that might have wanted a part of their thought process. Um, but and just hitting in uh, Planeswalkers, the other big thing they mentioned off of that. So honestly, surprised it was so little. That was my big takeaway. Uh, they are going to do another one of these in August, which will be like the yearly one that they do. So maybe they're seeing how it plays out now uh, going forward. But uh, we will see. I've been playing with uh, All Will Be One and Abnixilis, trying to make that broken and get it banned in August. That is my goal. Um, 
so yeah what's your any predictions you got for standard uh, i still think the all will be one combo is strong and i think that that will find a way to be a deck here soon and i like the fact that a few new decks have cropped up uh hopefully we get a few more hopefully there's a little more uh deck archetype going on in standard rather than battle of the mid ranges yeah so far i mean i've ran into a little bit more aggro um some soldiers the enchantment deck that's popping up is pretty interesting um but it's been a lot of like quote-unquote five color ramp slash control um and that deck's not that fun to play against it's very it's not super interactive it's kind of linear it's hard to enter like they put a lot of lanes in play and play big things so it's not the easiest thing to interact with unless you interact with it on the stack um so might have to dust off the disdainful strokes but yeah i'm excited for that kind of sucks this big shakeup happens that there's no big standard tournaments worth note for a while uh, the RCs are this week at the regional championships. A few of them are, I think, the Canadian, the American one, the European one. Um, the larger ones are all this weekend. So um, if you're out there playing in Dallas or whatnot, good luck to you. Uh, take it down and come on the show and talk about it. So uh, that is Pioneer. So I'm sure in the next couple of weeks we'll be mentioning that. But yeah. That's all the news and stuff I got to go over. You have anything you want to add, Josh? Nope, that's it for the the new standard news, which is going to be something to keep your eye on. Yeah, it's very much a developing story. Um, also, that uh, last week the Arena Championship was won by... Um, I don't remember who won it, but the Jeskai Dragons deck, quote-unquote, it played one dragon, but the Jeskai Dragons deck was pretty popular, and I do believe that's a deck that won, and I don't think it got hit. I'm sure it played Fable the Mirror Breaker, um, but besides that, I don't think anything got hit, so maybe that deck starts popping up more. We will see. Uh, this week, though, we are going to talk about card commander cards finding their way into modern. Um... If you guys have been living under a rock and don't get on social But they made it modern legal so more people could play with these cards. So they could sell more product. And uh, a lot of people are really big Lord of the Rings fans, so... They wanted to open it up to more players, which makes sense. And it kind of made me think about cards that uh, used to be commander only that saw play in Legacy and eventually moved their way to modern. And Josh and I started talking about cards that could possibly do that again. So I guess we'll start with ones that have already done it. Um, the only three I can think of is uh, Flusterstorm, Scavenging Ooze, What's the third one, Josh? Uh, there's more than uh, three, but uh, True Name Nemesis, Opposition Agent, Retrofitter no, no. Boundary. That already made their way into modern. Oh, that made their way into modern. Oh, yeah. um, uh, Flusterstorm, Scavenging Ooze, and uh, 
Oh, shardless agent. Yeah, shardless agent. Yeah, Another cascade all, trigger. Yeah, all those were uh, legacy staples. Um, when they came out, I remember Flusterstorm made that precon. It was just in a precon, and it made it very, very expensive. It was like a sixty dollar card back when there wasn't that many sixty dollar cards um, outside of Tarmogoyf. But anyways, uh, so yeah. It made me think of cards I like playing with in Legacy that I kind of wanted to play with in other formats. And uh, the first one we wanted to talk about was kind of the big one for me that I personally think this card would be all right in Modern and probably wouldn't break it in half, and that is Minsk and Boo. Which we should probably pull up and read since everyone might not know what these do. Minsk and Blue Boo is a four mana planeswalker. It's two, a green, and a red. Uh, three loyalty. As a static ability, when Minsk and Boo, Timeless Hero, enters the battlefield and at, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you may create Boo, a legendary 1 1 red hamster creature token with trample and haste. Plus one, put three plus one plus one counters on up to one target creature with trample or haste. Minus two, sacrifice a creature. When you do, Minskin Boo, Timeless Heroes, deals X damage to any target, where X is the creature's power. If the sacrifice creature was a hamster, draw X cards. Um, and then it can be your commander, which obviously would not be relevant. Uh, this sees a fair amount of legacy play and various decks. Um, control decks use it as a finisher. I 5-0'd a Painter Servant League that played it in it as like an alternative win condition. Card's really powerful. You get a 1-1 every turn. If you're got and then if it lives, it becomes a 7-7 that you can then sack to deal 7 and draw 7. Um, what do you think this can do in modern? Well, uh, it's going to come out earlier than turn 4, obviously, and it provides you with a hasty 4-4 right off the bat. And if not immediately dealt with, can by itself generate 12 damage over two turns, which is a lot of damage. I think the card's probably right on or maybe above the line for uh, power level for modern. I don't think it's crazy, and I don't think it's way out of line to try it. And it would be interesting to see it there. Uh, the only thing I'd be worried about is that it's going to basically be a super blood braid. We almost have to see what Bloodbraid Elf is because it's been so long since that card saw modern play. Bloodbraid's three or uh, two, a red and a green for a three-two, and it's got Cascade. Well, wow, three-two with three-two with haste. Yeah. So no. the thing that Bloodbraid did really well is it came down at the top of your curve and it flipped into another relevant card, whether that be another big, you know, body, whether that be a burn spell, you know, it could have been a lot of different things. And it had haste, which meant you were getting value out of it immediately. Uh, Minskidoo basically does everything Bloodbraid did, just a little bit better. Bloodbraid doesn't really see play anymore, uh, so that's an interesting uh, conversation there for, you know, would Minskidoo be good enough? I think it's, I think Bloodbraid is close enough to still being played right now that Minskidoo would definitely be getting played. Yeah, so like the interesting thing about it, so you said it'd come down early. Um, and the biggest argument I think you can say about any card that's playable in Legacy being safe for modern 
um, is like we still have Regavan, and that card's fine in the format. It's really strong, obviously. But it it's is fine, you know. Um, so if you go like I'm just on Goldfish looking at the top decks, right? The there's two decks that stick out to me that I think would want to play Minskin Boo. Um, one's Creativity and one's Crashing Footfalls or Rhinos. Um, and neither one of them can ramp it out early. Uh, so I think the important part there, though, is that the card's on a power level all by itself uh, for Planeswalker. And that is going to dictate new decks that can come out of nowhere. Maybe it's... Uh, honestly, the most likely culprit to play that card is none of the decks you listed. It's it's Jund. I mean, is Modern in a bad spot if Jund's a deck again? Like, a real deck? No, I don't think Modern is a, in a bad spot if Jund is a deck again. You just have to be careful about introducing super power level cards. And that one's close. That one's a very interesting one, because it might not be too strong, but it would certainly uh, open up some new decks. And, I mean, you know how I feel about that. More decks, the better. So, Yeah, my biggest thing is, like, in Legacy, it's really powerful because it's not crazy hard to play it on turn two. Well, you can Ancient Tomb or City of Traitors it out. Right. Um, and in a perfect world, you can play it on turn one. So I think when you're playing it on turn three, like, this format is fast enough, and I'm not saying it'd be perfect, um, but and the other big thing, too, which is kind of weird the more I thought about it, but Unholy Heat sees a lot more play in Modern than it does in Legacy because of the, the lack of degenerate combo decks. So you have more creature-slash-planeswalker interaction, which I also think would make it safe. Um, so I vote it would be okay. It would be safe for modern. I don't think it would be busted. I think it'd be good, and I could play with it a lot more, but I don't think it would be busted. What's your vote on it? Uh, my vote is I think it's slightly too strong. Slightly too strong? All right. I think that it's close. I'd be okay with it. Uh, but if I had to vote, I would say no. Okay. Uh, next, we'll go into a group of cards, I guess. Um, and that is the initiative cards. Josh, do you want to explain what the initiative is? Yeah, so when you play an initiative card, you take the initiative. And when that happens, you get to uh, go into a specific dungeon. Um, and do the first room of the dungeon. And then the way the initiative works after that is uh, at the beginning of each upkeep, uh, each of your upkeeps, you will venture further into that dungeon. Uh, the opponent can take the initiative away from you by attacking you and dealing damage with an unblocked creature. And they will get the initiative, which will then trigger the dungeon for them, and same concept. So the initiative creatures are really powerful because they're reasonable on their own and they just generate so much extra value specifically aggro value because the left side of the dungeon that you can go down provides a lot of damage and a lot of power yeah the first rooms get a basic land that's for all of them and then you put two one one counters on a creature and then the next one's deal five damage to something yeah deal five damage uh it's to a player i don't think is it's it to a player creature. Yeah, um, so 
Uh, the two big examples of um, initiative creatures are... I'm blanking on them right now. Well, there's uh, White white Plume Adventure. White Plume there's, Adventure. Uh, I can't What's remember the, the name one? of the red one. Um, uh, Caves of Chaos Adventure. Yeah. Those are the two big ones. Um, white Plume Adventures, a two and a white for a 3-3. Three, three. says, uh, when it comes to play, take the initiative, obviously. And then um, at the beginning of each player's turn, untap a creature you control. If you've completed a dungeon, untap all creatures you controlled. Um, and then what does Caves of Chaos Adventure do? Uh, Caves of Chaos Adventure is a four mana five three. I believe it has trample. Hold on a second. I got to pull it up. It's been a while since they took that one away and everybody switched to the uh, the white ones. Um, but Caves of Chaos Adventure is three and a red for a five three. It does have trample. Gives you the initiative when you play it. And when it attacks, you exile the top card of your library. And if you've completed a dungeon, you can play that card for free. Otherwise, you can just play that card. So it generates card advantage. It's enormous. Says initiative all over the card. Lots of value. Yeah, it's turn one. Uh, you, the first turn you attack with the attack for seven. The next turn you attack with it, you attack for seven. Deal five to them. Um, it is a very... Very fast clock. Um, yeah, you, you don't need to finish the dungeon with a lot of these initiative cards. So you're going to finish the dungeon um, only in games that, you know, drag out or they have a lot of answers. Yeah. Uh, there's some more interesting ones that are starting to see play now in Legacy, specifically. Uh, Magic Online didn't get these all uh, right away. So they're slowly, slowly starting to show up uh, here and there. So I guess uh, the initiative was really strong in Modern, or in Legacy, excuse me, because you could play White Plume Adventure on turn one, and you could definitely have one in play by turn two with the Soul Lands, and you're kind of off to the races. And there's not a lot of combat that happens in Legacy necessarily. So taking the initiative from your uh, opponent could be really, really hard, depending on the deck you were playing. So, in those aspects, it's much safer in Modern, because there's more creatures, they get turned sideways a lot more often, and second off, uh, you're playing these on... I mean, I guess, if you're playing White Plume Adventure, you could theoretically play a Birds, or uh, some Mana Dork on one to play it on two, but besides that, um, or you could hit with a Ragavan on two, but if you hit it with a Ragavan on two, you're winning anyways. So it's a little bit slower. Uh, what do you think, Josh? How do you feel about this in modern? How do you think it plays out? Obviously, it plays out the same way it plays out everywhere else that it's been, including Popper, including Vintage, including Legacy. Uh, the cards have too much value attached to them, and they create a mini game that you're prepared for and your opponent isn't. You're going to get so much value off of these cards that your opponent needs to react to. You you don't. You, your deck's already doing its thing. And if your opponent takes the initiative, cool, I'll just play a new one. But if your opponent can't take the initiative, ooh, it's bad for them. It's really bad for them. So that's the biggest problem with these cards is you built your deck 
suddenly you create this mini game and you're prepared for it and your opponent is not. Yeah. I'm really torn on it because part of me is like, well, if it came back, Winota would be probably the most obvious spot for this to come into play. Yep, Winota and, gets played in the Legacy version. Yeah, and so like seeing Winota played in Modern would make me happy. I would like that. Um, ultimately, I think it's a touch too strong. Even though it's slow enough and it's easy to interact with, um, initiative games where you can't, where you like you answer all your creatures or your opponent's creatures, and then you just die to them getting the initiative every upkeep and them either straight killing you with damage from it or just outvaluing you in the long term feels really, really bad. Imagine uh, playing a powerful deck like, oh, I don't know, Amulet Titan or Creativity. You don't have attackers. They right. they resolve a turn two, turn three, you know, whatever initiative creature. And, well, they just have to take half their life total away. <laughs> they're, they're now playing a 10-point game with their combo, uh, a 10-life game with their combo deck. And you could very well push all of those decks right out of the format with something like initiative. And honestly, that's what happened in the other formats where it was uh, available. It didn't suddenly, you know, uh, the second it was printed, just show up and take everything by storm. It was people started to realize how strong that value was. And they started playing those decks. And pretty soon, uh, the combo decks, the the non-interactive decks, all those decks just got shoved away. and you just played different versions of initiative until you mastered initiative and figured out what the right version of it was. And then it was just mirror match after mirror match. And that happened in all those formats until they, you know, banned some stuff out to, to fix it a little bit in the case of popper banned it all. Yeah. Um, so about, I mean, white plume adventure is the only three mana one, the rest of them are four mana. Um, do you think there'd ever be a chance that there are only four or five mana ones that were legal? If there were only five mana ones that were legal, I think it would be all right. But if there were only five mana ones, they don't play well into the aggro decks, and initiative is an aggro function. So I don't think it would be played if you only gave the five mana ones. Um, you could try and do what Popper did originally and uh, curate a list of specific uh, initiative cards that you want around. The problem is, is that people still found a way to make those ones good too yeah so i think we can agree too good i mean like i want to make an argument that it's it would be okay um just because it's something very unique and in general the dungeon mechanics have been very unique and it's i like the dungeons i think they're really cool i wish the regular dungeons were a little bit better it is a weird balance of trying to find something that is not too good which, I mean, initiative in Commander is perfectly fine and balanced. It is good, but not broken in half. Well, yeah, um, because you're balanced around playing against three people. Yeah. So I think, like, dungeons are cool, so I want it to happen. But I, I think it's going to be really hard for them to ever make a balanced, good dungeon thing. Where uh, it's a good deck or um a good strong mechanic that's not too strong for a format like modern or legacy so i played commander last weekend and i actually had a uh, delve into the dungeon card in my uh blue white urza deck it was the art of the mana rock the three mana mana rock that you can pay three mana and tap it and venture mm -hmm. into the dungeon um and I played that card 
And I had Urza out, and I had a bajillion of mana from all kinds of different mana rocks and using Urza. And I copied the 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 dungeon artifact a couple of times and had delved, I think, like six times through Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Um, I still couldn't get to the end of it before I got Ruinous Ultimatum and all that stuff went away. Uh, it, it was weak. Like, I spent a truckload of mana on a couple of scries and a treasure token, and it, it wasn't that good. Um, the initiative, though, like, had that been the initiative dungeon that I was going through, I would have got so much value. I would have finished the dungeon. I would have had extra lands. Uh, I would have been able to... Um, uh, I probably would have went down the right path and made a 4-1 and got a creature out of my deck with bonus counters. Like, I would have got so much more value. The initiative dungeon itself is just better than the other dungeons. Yeah, and you get to go into it for free. Right. Yeah, you just, ooh, there it is. It's attached. Yeah. So I I, I want them to, to use the original delve into the dungeon mechanic, but I want the dungeons to be just slightly better. Maybe a little bit shorter because the original dungeons kind of were like, you know, six or seven, you know, rooms deep. Um, or maybe just really niche dungeons that they have that are quite good in certain circumstances, but worse than others. But anyway, I digress. I like the mechanic. I just don't think it's good. Okay. All right. Um, Moving on. Uh, you mentioned the next one. I didn't even know what this card did. So <laughs> I play a lot of commanders, so I definitely knew what it did. Uh, the next card is uh, Nesting Grounds. I'll let you run. I actually like this card a lot because I love doing uh, proliferate type things and playing with counters. Uh, but it is a non-basic land. It comes into play untapped. It taps for colorless. And its real ability is one colorless and tap. Move a counter from a permanent you control to another target permanent. Activate only as a sorcery. This card is really, really interesting to me because of several things, but one very specific thing, Urza Saga. If you have a nesting grounds, you can keep your Urza Saga around for as long as you want. And what's more, if you let it go to three counters... Well, I guess, no, that wouldn't work with the three counters one like you can do with Power Conduit because it's activated only as a sorcery. So I guess you won't get infinite uh, tutors uh, tutors with it. Although, honestly, if you're playing Nesting Grounds, you're probably also using Power Conduit and whatnot in the deck as well. But either way, this allows you to do cool things with Sagas, um, keep them around for an, an indefinite amount of time, and cards like Urza Saga, you know, just churning out a giant construct every single turn. Like, that might be all you need to do with your mana. Yeah, I mean, you're spending five mana to do it, essentially, because... Yep. But, um, yeah, what else could you do with this? Well, I mean, this can also uh, move counters away on other sagas that um, you would want to reactivate a second ability on. Uh, you could use this in... Uh, uh, with Planeswalkers as well, you could move counters from random stuff onto uh, uh, your Planeswalkers. Well, I guess it's uh, you'd have to have Planeswalker onto Planeswalker because it doesn't change the counter type. Uh, right. You could use it with uh, Hardened Scales type stuff, although honestly they don't have time for a card like this. So I doubt this would even make their deck, but it is a card that you could move counters around. I mean... It's a fun card. I, I don't think it's particularly overpowering. I think the best card to use it with is Saga. 
Um, and I think it's fun. Like people like, you know, dirtling with their counters on like how many super friends decks do you see? Like people like doing that kind of stuff. Battles makes this card interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. You can move, uh, battles, uh, counters around as well. What kind of counters are on battles? Uh, defense counters. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that could be interesting. I don't know. It's a cool card. I don't, it's like super value engine-y, especially with Urza Saga. Um, I think it's fine. Like, I think it could be strong, but I think it's a touch win more. So um, I think, uh, I don't know if it's win more. Um, I think it's another enabler for a deck that's just a little bit, you know, too low tier right now. And that's the the deck that already wants to move all the counters around with power conduits and, you know, things like that. Um, you know, it uses like, uh, Yosha declares war and, uh, mm. uh cards like that. Th this gives them another way to do it. Is it as efficient as a power conduit? No, but sometimes you don't have power conduit and power conduit isn't tutorable by saga. It costs two. This isn't right. tutorable either, but now it allows you to have, you know, more slots in your deck. Plus that deck doesn't really care too much about colors uh so having a colorless land one that comes into play untapped mind you isn't really a bad thing right no i think it'd be fun in modern uh i think it's completely within power level reasons um yeah activate only as a sorcery they made it hard to break yeah yeah it's it, i think it's fair i don't think it's too strong i think it would maybe push a couple of decks it possibly create a new deck or two like I, th this is, would be one of my ideal cards for moving to modern this is one of my well this is my top pick but okay might cause some brewing but definitely nothing broken i don't know how you're going to break this card but who knows I, maybe somebody somewhere and someone smarter than me might figure it out i was gonna say it's aspiring spike doing he can yeah. figure it out <laughs> yeah no kidding um, yeah, uh, we'll move on to the next card. This one's a much more well-known card, uh, especially if you play Commander, um, or if you just open packs because you want to open it because it's worth a few bucks, and that's Teferi's Protection. That's two and a white for an instant until your next turn, your life total can't change, and you gain protection for out. Um... You're the one that brought this up, so I'll let you start. So, I love it and I hate it. This card would blank so many different combos and therefore would be an excellent sideboard, sideboard card for a lot of different decks. But also, at the same time, it would blank so many different decks that it might be a little too strong. It is three mana. Like, that's not a nothing investment. Like, leaving three mana up just in case your opponent can do a thing is not a small amount of mana to leave up. Um, but man, it's a powerful card, and it's a great, great sideboard tech card for certain things. I mean, just imagine your opponent doing, you know... Um, like... Uh, 
suddenly I can't think of the name, uh, creativity, indomitable creativity. Right. And you're like, nah, let me go to my turn. See if I have an answer for it. <laughs> like it, it stops so many things that otherwise would just end the game on the spot. Yeah. Like I agree with that. Uh, so my thought process went somewhere else. Um, do you remember the old ad nauseum combo deck from pre-modern horizons times? What angels grace? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I see it be being used in more of some sort of capacity like that. Um, well, I mean, so there is already um, a way to do this uh, in Commander, is you could do something like uh, Chronotog or uh, Lethal Vapors, uh, which both have activated abilities of skip your next turn. And so you can put, you know, a million skip turns on the stack and then cast Teferi's Protection. And then skip the next million turns. Your opponent has to figure out a way to kill you when you can't have your life total change. <laughs> and you gain protection from everything. Right. Um, so, I mean, th there is certainly uh, potential for that. I'd have to take a peek and see what skip turns cards you can do in modern. Uh, one thing that helps protect this from being a degenerate loop is you do have to exile the spell when you cast it. Right. So it makes it a little harder to like rebuy this every turn, but if you can somehow skip the next hundred turns, your opponent may have trouble killing you before they deck out. Yeah, could you use this with Realm Razor to get rid of someone all someone's lands? I know that costs like a bajillion mana, but with Realm Razor's trigger on the stack. Phase it um, out. No, that's not the way uh, phasing works. Uh, so the Realm Razor will phase out before the lands all get exiled, but the Realm Razor is not out of play. It's just phased out. So when the Realm Razor trigger goes off, it'll you know quietly tuck those lands underneath of it. Will it tuck your lands away still, though, even though your lands aren't there? That I'm not sure about. I, let me double-check the rules on phasing. Phasing has some messy rules. So, I mean, it's like that's where I see Teferi's protection being used is somewhere it's in a not fair way, not in a fog plus stop your combo deck. Uh, yes, see... it, it would. It would eat your uh, lands as well. So phasing uh, retains uh, the same object. So the, the object is still there. It's just phased. So whenever you resolve something based on the object like the trigger on the stack, it will still suck all those lands under it. So, no, that would not save your own lands. I don't think that's right. I mean, I know you just looked that up. So, I play Realm Razor. Yep. It's triggered to exile lands on the stack. Mm-hmm. I phase my lands out. Right? Because it phases out everything I have. How do, yep. they get, how do they get exiled with Realm Razor if they're already phased out? Uh, let me make sure that I read this right. So I know it, unfazing doesn't cause like an ETB or anything like that, but... Yeah, you, you don't get ETB or leaves the battlefield triggers because it never actually right. leaves. Um, right. Anything attached to a phased uh, permanent will uh, phase with it. So if you have an equipment on a phasing creature, it will actually phase out with the creature. Which is kind of odd and a little 
counterintuitive. Um, I am not a hundred percent. There are a lot of rules on phasing. So yeah, guys, if you know the answer to this, like, uh, send us an email, uh, tofapodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and let us know. Because I'm pretty sure the way it would work is your lanes would phase out, so they're treated as though they don't exist, then all lanes get exiled, and then yours will come back the next turn. I think is what would happen. That is also nine mana, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's a bajillion mana. That was just an example of uh, something not fair. I don't know why Realm Razors is the first place my brain went to. Um, I don't know. I'm super torn on this card. Because, like, I think blue-white control gets to play it. Um, hmm. Like anything that makes any Omnath deck better, I don't really like because it's not a fun deck to play against. And the Omnath, de- Omnath deck's weakness has always been combo decks. This blanks a lot of combos. Yeah, and it, like even like a creativity, even though it's not like a one shot kill, like it blanks it enough, and that the Omnath deck could probably make a comeback and just gain a bunch of value the next turn. Um, well, just think the old creativity that wants to dump a archon or two into play. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. Your life total can't change. They're gonna draw some cards. Sure, you're not gonna lose any creatures. Like it, it, you're gonna be fine. And, and then you untap and you deal with their creatures, and problem solved. If they're going with like um, Xenagos and you know World Spine Worm or something, well, you're not taking thirty. So on your turn, you exile the world spine worm with a ley line binding or whatever, you know, random ant- like, like that extra turn is huge. No, for Just sure. Links a lot. Absolutely. That's what I'm afraid of if, with this card is I just feel like it might completely shutter out so many different one shot decks and you don't want a card to completely annihilate decks. Also, it's splashable as hell in modern. Like, if yeah. you want to run this in the board, it's not hard to put in a few shock lands and some batch lands, and boom, now you have access to white. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, um, it's probably too good. And if not too good, it's probably just not healthy. Like, it's not one way improve. to look at this card in modern, in particular, is it's almost like a three mana white time walk. With with other protective text attached to it, like that in itself might make it main deckable, and you could just play this, you know, in a deck. You're like, okay, well, we're in a race situation. Uh, all right, my opponent's turn on your draw step. I'm gonna or on your upkeep. I'm gonna Teferi's protection. You can't do any damage this turn. I'm gonna untap and do whatever I'm gonna do. Yeah, it'd be even worse than just do it during their after declare attackers. Yeah, uh, after yeah. they tap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm not here anymore. Thanks, guys. Yep. 
That one's going to be a no for me. I don't want to see this one in modern, mainly because of the potential implications. I don't think the card on its, you know, like if you're using this in a fair manner, if you're just putting this in your deck as a fog, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Every now and then you're going to blank a combo deck, but like if you're just playing this as a fog, whatever. The problem is, is no one's going to do that. They're going to use it very targetedly against decks that can one shot them and. Those decks are going to really, like, every one of those decks is now going to need to have access to counter spells or hand disruption, or they just don't get to play the game. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the next one. Uh, this is one of my favorite commander cards to play that I almost paid way too much money for when they first came out. Luckily, they're a heck of a lot cheaper now. Um, and that is Kappa Cannoneer. Kappa and... Kappa. Kappa Cannoneers 5 and a blue for a 4-4 with Improvise. It's an artifact creature, Turtle Warrior. Uh, Improvise is the one where you can tap your artifacts to help cast it. It has Ward 4, and whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Kappa Cannoneer, and it can't be blocked this turn. So uh, this deck kind of was the glue that put eight casts together. For in Legacy, um, though notably, it's usually a two of in a lot of lists now. Um, but yeah, Kappa Cannoneer. Um, it also comes into play as a five-five because it triggers off of itself. It has Ward a bajillion. Um, I guess I'll start with this one. I think this would make. Eight cast in modern, a very, very good deck, or affinity, a very, very good deck. But I'm actually going to side on the fact that I think it would be okay. I think it'd be safe. I'm actually um, in agreement with you. It's a creature. And yes, it's got a million ward, but it's still a creature. It's an expensive creature, even though you could improvise it. I think it's fine. Uh, the biggest thing is the only like notable zero drop artifacts are Ornithopter, Memnite, and Mishra's Bobble, where in Legacy you get uh, Lotus Petal, Urza's Bobble, and Mox Opal. And they uh, these decks usually play for Ancient Tomb as well, to kind of turbo it out. Or they can also turbo out like a Psy Master Thopterist, which is whenever you cast an artifact, you make a 1-1 artifact art, uh, creature. So... You can get him out very, very early. It's super strong. Uh, when I was playing this deck in the Legacy Challenge, uh, I think you were watching me play, and I just went all in and went, I'm playing a Kappa Cannoneer in turn one. I hope they're not playing a Force of Will deck. I saw Yorian, so I didn't think they were. I was like, I'm pretty sure they're Death Attacks. I'm going to play my whole hand to play a Kappa Cannoneer and hope it gets me there. And it did. Um, but we, oh, and we don't have the artifact lands either to, like, you do, but you don't have the good ones. Yeah, we have the come into play tapped ones. There's so, a yeah. few that don't come into play tapped that are available, but I, I don't think that's enough to like make this you know bonkers or anything. I, I think this is going to be like a turn three, turn four play a lot of the time. At that point, your opponent's very close to being able to deal with this card. Um, if not, just go around it. I, I think this card is fine. It would make eight cast a top tier deck instead of a like a 
you know, bottom of tier one, top of tier two kind of deck. Uh, but I think that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think worst comes to worst, eight cast just becomes the Urza Saga deck to play. Um, the only annoying thing, I guess, is you could just recycle them over and over again with Emery. But you can do the same thing with Thought Monitor right now, and that's not a problem. So uh, I think it'd be fine. I think it'd be interesting, too. Um, I also think it would be fine. Might make you do some different things, but... Yeah, I think I've just about beat that horse. Anything you want to add to that? We actually agree well, on something for once? No, I definitely agree on that one. Um, I think that uh, talking about that card, we should also talk about a few other cards that are uh, related to it a little bit, because I think that we you could add several of these without actually making uh, the artifact decks too good. Uh, but that one, in it, for sure... I think you could add uh, Cyber Drive Awakener is another really interesting card to add. I know you're a, a big fan of that card. I have tinkered into that card once or twice in my life. Um, and I think that would be a fun one to add as well. Uh, just so everybody knows, Cyber Drive Awakener is um, five and a blue for a four four artifact creature with flying says your other artifact creatures have flying when it comes into play it turns all your non-creature artifacts into four four artifact creatures uh so with kappa cannoneer if we brought that over you could also bring over things like this as a another top end way to finish and you could have several different artifact deck styles that are all viable yeah I, honestly i think that deck would be bad or whatever that's worth like i don't uh, maybe I like, uh, just because there's not enough good non-creature... I don't know. Tokens Springly are a thing. Drum. But, uh, like, uh, you could just play Regavan and Fable the Mirror Breaker and make a bajillion treasure, now that I think about it. Uh, yeah, there's there's also treasure cards that can do that. Uh, moving quickly to the next card that I actually think should come over, if any of those do come over, though, is Dockside Extortionist. But Dockside, so, it's so strong. It's so good. Yeah, it's so, so broken. It's so broken. Your your opponent may not even have any artifacts, and you're playing a two mana one two. Um, that's why I think that it should actually be able to come to modern, especially if you bring over some of these artifact matters cards. Uh, Dockside is a card where if your opponent has two artifacts in play, it's mana neutral because it's going to make treasure tokens equal to the number of artifacts and enchantments that your opponents control. Uh, it costs two mana, so if your opponent has at least two then he's mana neutral. And this would be a great punish card for heavy artifact, improvise, affinity, things like that, that they're playing. If they got five, six artifacts in play, this is a ritual, a big ritual. And that could be huge. Yeah, and uh, a recyclable ritual at that. Yep, and very easily recyclable. Also, it's a goblin. Yeah, there's a lot of relevant things about that card. There's a reason why it's the second most hated card in all of commander i'm pretty sure i don't know if it's the second but it's on the it's on the high end of that list yeah i mean um thassa's oracle is probably first i imagine that's probably the most hated card in casual commander anyway in casual commander yeah. probably Mm-mm. but Dockside does not seem too powerful on its own, and I think if you brought over all of the rest of those Artifact Matters cards, it would be a, 
a quality addition. Um, I think it'd be fun. No, I agree. Um, what do we got next? I don't have my list pulled up. Uh, Karlov. I did not know what this card did before we talked before the show. So I'll let you talk about this one a little bit as well. Yep. This is probably my uh, second uh, favorite card to bring over. Karlov is um, a black and a white for a 2-2. And hold on a second here while I find it. There it is. Uh, black and a white for a 2-2. Legendary creature, spirit advisor. Whenever you gain life, put two plus one plus one counters on Karlov. And for a black and a white, colon, well, black and white, remove six plus one plus one counters, colon, exile target creature. And the reason I think this one could be really juicy to bring to modern is because of a deck called Soul Sisters. Uh, that deck has always been a fringe deck. Every now and then it jumps into the uh, the limelight and, you know, does pretty well for a little while. Um one of the things that that deck has struggled with was finding ways to actually end the game because a lot of the time you just got this army of one ones and you didn't find a good payoff card for your your life gain. You know, you didn't find a Sarah Ascendant or, you know, a Johnny Pride mate's been played from time to time, you know, things like that to actually kill your opponent. This will kill your opponent very fast. So picture a world where you play a Soul Warden on turn one and you play a Karlov on turn two. The Karlov is going to trigger your Soul Ward. You're going to gain a life. You're going to put two 1-1 one, one counters on it. It's a 4-4. Four, four. Your opponent goes, they play a creature. Your Karlov's now a 6-6. Six, six. Comes back to your turn on turn three, and you play two more Soul Warden effects. Oriac Champion and Soul Warden, you know, whatever they may be. Souls Attendant. Um, the first one's going to trigger your Soul Warden. So now he's an 8-8. Eight, eight. The second one's going to trigger your... Uh, Two Soul Wardens, so now he's a 12-12. You're swinging on turn three with a 12-12. That's huge. That's enormous. Now, granted, it does not have Trample, uh, but it makes up for that a little bit by having the ability to pop some of those counters off and remove target you know, creature from the game. But that does cost six 1-1 counters. I don't think this card is too strong, but I do think that it would make Soul Sisters a legitimate deck again. And who knows? It might even find some home and you know, like some Heliod decks or Isn't other say, random stuff. Before uh, MH2, uh, Heliod combo was the most popular combo. Yep. Um, and this is another one that... Another way to finish with it um, that also gets hit off of Collective Company. So... No, it definitely could definitely could be a thing. I think it's fine. Um, it it's doesn't have trample. I would say it's interesting with Shadow Spear. Shadow Spear is really good with this card. Um, well, it it's it's good with this card, but it's not insane with this card because it still only triggers Karlov once on the hit. Right. No, I think it. I think it would be fine. I think it added deck to the meta. And honestly, I don't even know how good that deck would be all the time because I it'd still some... be beatable. I mean, yeah, that deck just beats itself sometimes. Uh, you can gain a bunch of life, but then you play against a deck like Merktide or something and yeah. draw what you need to play. And um, yeah, or they just have removal for the couple of things that matter, and you got a bunch of one ones. Yeah, um, and yeah. you know they just have to hit you four more times or three more times than usual, but they get there. 
Yeah, I mean, picture that same world. You go Soul Warden on turn one, they go land, you go Karlov on turn two, trigger on the stack, lightning bolt. Oh, okay, so now your next turn is two more one ones. Meanwhile, right. they're doing things like, you know, playing Express Obliteration and, you know, DRC. Yeah, I could, I think this card is great. I think it would make a deck viable again, but I also don't think it's just nuts. Like, it doesn't have evasion, it doesn't have trample. It's chump blockable while you look for your answer. I like it. Yeah, and I mean, I'd be down with it. They can add this one. I'm cool with it. Uh, moving on to cards that might be a little more powerful, and that I've definitely cast a lot more. Uh, we have Opposition Agent. It is two in a black for a 3-2 human rogue with flash. Uh, you control your opponents while they search their libraries. Uh, <laughs> while an opponent is searching their library, they may exile each card they find. You may play those cards for as long as they remain exiled, and you may spend mana as though there were any ma of mana of any color to cast them. Um, so this sees play in older formats uh, for two reasons. A, it's really, really good against Urza Saga because you get to stop them from getting something like their Black Lotus or whatever, and then you get their Black Lotus and whatnot. Um, also just really good against fetch lands. Um, Insane against fetch lands. Yeah. It's a stifle, uh, but worse. Yeah, it's a stifle that your opponent makes their land drop the next turn. Um, and and you get a 3-2. Yeah, it, it, it's so much worse. That's... <laughs> Yeah, that's that's almost the worst part about it. It's because you can lightning bolt it in response. Um, Opposition Agent's a very, very good magic card. And I cannot ever see a world where this shows up in Modern. Like, unless they unban Birthing Pod, and they worry about Birthing Pod going crazy. But even then, like... I mean, I guess there's a whole argument, like it costs three... So you have to do stuff beforehand, but again, I'm then actually uh, in the other boat. Really, I think in a world without dark ritual, this card is fine. I think that a lot of the power behind this card comes from the fact that all you need to cast it is swamp and a ritual, and you don't have that in modern. It's going to be a lot harder to cast this card um, without leaving up that same. Teferi's protection mana that you would have needed. Uh, except this doesn't just blank a deck. It's something you can play around, unlike protection. This one is really just a big pain in the butt. But like you said, I play Opposition Agent, I bolt it, I fetch anyway. I think it's fine. It's I think it was fine to play, but I think like, it's fine. I don't, know, I don't know if fine. So here's my worries. Right now, if you go to Goldfish, I think it's the second or third most popular deck is uh racto scam yep and i think racto scam might put the push this card over the top um like turn one grief you play ragavan go turn two hit you with ragavan and when you go to cast a fetch land opposition agent and the fact that they can bring back their opposition agent when you go to kill it um with like undying malice or whatever. Well, they're not um, doing that on the turn they play it. 
No, no, no. I'm just saying, as an example, even if you do it later, like, that deck runs you out of resources, and then this stops you from... I, I mean, don't get me wrong, the card is powerful. I mean, there, there's a reason it sees Vintage and Legacy play. It is very powerful. I just think in a world without Ritual, I'm not as scared of this card. And it does something that I really like. It punishes your greedy-ass mana bases with all your fetch lands. But also punishes my favorite magic card of all time. That is Urza Saga. And I'm okay? fine with that. I am totally fine with punishing greedy cards with other powerful cards. Uh, so I definitely, I gotta end up on the other side of that that one yeah. issue. I Even, actually I mean, would like to see it in Modern. I'm a, t- I'm a touch closer to you now. Um, but I'm still I'm still gonna go a touch too strong. Now if you give me Minskin Bill, I'll give you Opposition Agent. <laughs> right? Deal. I, I'm right. cool with that trade. Um, before we get too far off Opposition Agent, I want to bring up another similar card to it that uh, I would also like to see in play. I actually think uh, uh, they're very, very similar, uh, and that's Archivist of Agma. Uh, that one is one and a white for a 2-2 with Flash, and it says whenever an opponent searches their library, you gain a life and draw a card. Um, this one's not as punishing as Opposition Agent, but again, in a world filled with Fetchlands, I would love to see this card, you know, playable. Yeah, you just want it to be 2002 again, where everyone plays one color, splashes maybe another. I see how it is. I just want you to get punished for playing five colors, rather than do it almost completely for free. Well, uh, what do we got next? I know we got a few left here. I got a whole bunch left, so, you know, take your pick. Um, well, I Actually, guess the next, the next one we're talking about was well, kind of two. It's Court of Bounty slash Palace Jailer, which are both Monarch cards. Um, do you want to read Court of Bounty? I have a pretty quick counter to that one. Court of but Bounty? Yeah. yeah, Court of Bounty is uh, one of the courts. Um, I believe they were from Commander Legends. Uh, there was a court for each color. The Court of Bounty is the green one. It is two green green for an enchantment. When it comes into play, you become the Monarch. And for those who don't know, uh, the way the Monarch works is at the end of your turn, if you're the Monarch, you get to draw a card. And if you take combat damage from your opponent, then you will give them the Monarch. Uh, it also says at the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a land from your hand into play. If you are the monarch, you can instead put a creature or land from your hand into play. So this cheats a large creature into play. Obvi- you know, ideally, if you are the monarch, and the it will you know mana ramp you a little bit if you have lands to throw into play. If you're not the monarch, yeah. So. Uh, Hypergenesis is still banned. Yep. Which, that's a different story altogether. But if Hypergenesis is banned, I don't know if this is unbanned, or if this is like, it's a theoretically two turns slower. Okay, okay, okay. I gotta stop you right there. Hypergenesis is still banned and it has no reason to be banned. The deck wouldn't even be good if Hypergenesis was unbanned. Okay. You wouldn't even play it. You'd still play Rhinos or uh, 
living end is your cascade deck of choice. I mean, yeah, probably. I've watched a bunch of uh, no ban list modern where people are like, I'm going to play hypergenesis again. And all it ends up being is a really clunky living end deck. Yeah. This, no, this is way less powerful than hypergenesis as well. And it's also interactable by your opponent. They can stop you from getting this effect by doing simple magic things like hitting you in the face with creatures. Right. Like, if you want this card to go off, you can't just play a bunch of, you know, Eldrazi in your deck and play this on turn three or four and expect it to just happen because you don't have blockers. So you have to build your deck with a good selection of mana dorks, with, you know, whatever to get in the way of one turn worth of your opponent's creatures so that you can then put an Eldrazi or whatever creature of choice you want into play which may or may not even be able to do anything that turn. I actually think this card wouldn't really even see much play if it were in modern. Yeah, I think it's uh, the ability attached to it. I don't know if we want the monarch in modern. Like... Uh, that's why I threw these cards on the list, because the monarch, I think, is actually a little more interesting than the actual ability on the card. Monarch is a, a weird ability. Yeah, um, so Monarch's like the original initiative, um, like Josh was saying. When it comes into play, or, you know, whatever happens to make you the Monarch, you become the Monarch, and until you take combat damage, you stay the Monarch, and you get to draw an extra card every turn. Um, and once again, like, the Omnath decks that play Solitude and a bunch of stuff that are pretty good at not taking random combat damage, just having free card advantage, I think they'd honestly might play this. Plus, the ability to put a land into play with Omnath isn't nothing. Yeah, um, that's true. And also, Palace Jailer is a powerful card in its own right. And this probably ends up, you know, getting ported over with a bunch of other Monarch cards. Yeah, Palace Jailer's two and two white for a 2-2? Two -two? Yeah, it's a 2-2. Two -two. And it exiles a creature when it comes into play. You become the Monarch, and that creature stays exiled until you're not the Monarch. So even if you kill the guy, even if you kill Palace Jailer... Um, and you can flicker Palace Jailer, you can infemberate him, and do it all over again. Um, yeah, I think Palace Jailer, in my opinion, is somewhere between too strong and not fun enough to be in Modern. I know that sounds silly, but... My uh, vote on the Monarch cards is no, simply because I don't want the Monarch to be in Modern, not so much because I think any of the individual cards are too powerful, except for maybe Palace Jailer, because Palace Jailer with Ephemerate is probably just the nuts. It probably is better than Solitude. Yeah. Um, yeah, just the in the kind of gameplay that it pushes a format to, where it's all about stopping your opponent from doing anything. Um, and not attacking and draw just to like gain slow incremental card advantage over time. Um, I mean, it's really good, obviously, for a reason, but yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think I would want that in my modern hashtag, not my modern. Um, <laughs> uh, so any other monarch cards you want to talk about before we move on? Those no, I, I kind of bundled all those together. Um, Court of Bounty and Palace Jailer were the ones I was most uh, interested in, and we talked about those. All right. 
uh, we'll move on to uh, probably the first commander card that made a big splash in Legacy. And that is True Name Nemesis. It's one blue-blue for a 3-1. As True Name Nemesis enters the battlefield, choose a player. True Name Nemesis has protection from the chosen player. Um, will you explain to us how protection from a chosen player works? Yeah, if you've got protection from anything, in this case the chosen player, uh, you can't be blocked, which means that player can't block your creature at all, ever. Uh, you can't be targeted, which means they can't target your creature, ever. You can't take damage from, which means any spells that they play will not deal damage to this creature. And you cannot be uh, enchanted. So, obviously, it'd hard, be hard to enchant it anyway. Um, but if you found a way to get an enchantment into play and then attach it to it, you still can't do that. Because it has protection from you. It's nearly untouchable once it comes into play and you chose your opponent. Yeah, edict effects are like the only thing that and wraths and wraths. Um, I'll let you start on this. I think this card is right around where Minskin Boo is on power level for modern. Um, largely because of its creature type tag, it is a Merfolk Rogue, and there are some pretty nasty Merfolk synergies. Um, I don't know that it's quite at Minskin Boo's level. I think I would vote this as a yes, but it's tough because this card can function a lot of different roles. You can put this into a hard control shell and you get one of the best finishers ever that just can't be dealt with. And that's rough. Um, you can fit this into a Merfolk aggro deck and you just have you know, perma damage. Now, Merfolk don't usually have too much trouble getting unblockable damage in, but they certainly like having creatures that just straight up can't be targeted. Um, this could even just be a value creature in, you know, certain uh, zoo-type lists that play a little bit extra blue than normal, uh, because for three mana, you get a permanent blocker. It can block anything. It's unblockable. It, it, it's, it's strong. Yeah, um, I think, well, A, um, like, Stone Blade gets to be a deck again, which it hasn't been in a long time. Yep. Um, so that's interesting. I don't know if it's something we want or not. Also, maybe Hammer Time plays this in the board. Um, they boarded in against, um... Uh, control matchups and whatnot um, to put a hammer on that can't be touched by their opponent. But, I don't know. I have a really hard time saying this card's too good. Like... So, I get where you're coming from. It's a 3-mana three 3-1. Three like, it doesn't feel that strong. Uh, the reason that it, it saw play originally in older formats, though, was because of the fact that you could uh, cheat it into play off of an Aether file. It was because of the fact that you could cast it off of a Cavern of Souls, which gets around one of its weaknesses, which is, while it's on the stack, it doesn't have protection from anything. You can counter it just like normal. Um, once it hit play, though, and you untapped, for control decks, this thing was just godly. 
you just couldn't deal with it. And if you did happen to have a way to deal with it, you know, you cast a Wrath of God or something, well, that's what they have cards for. They just answer that and continue pegging you for three a turn. Um, I do, for the record, I do think this would be fine in Modern, but it would be a strong card. And I, I like that it would also probably bring back at least one... Uh, you know, like it, it would probably take the blue white control deck to a new level. They'd probably remove all their elementals and just play, you know, baby Teferi and Supreme Verdicts and True Name Nemesis and Counter Spells. And Stoneforge, probably. They'd probably run a Stoneforge package with it. They could. I mean, this thing is uh, one hell of a wielder of equipment because, well, you're not dealing with the creature. <laughs> and in the last two years, uh, since Modern Horizons 2, Modern Horizons had the Edict effect in it. Um, and then we had Shieldred's. Uh, it's not Is it Shieldred's Edict? Yeah. Yeah, Shieldred's uh, Edict. So, like, we've had new answers recently printed to this style of card. Invasion uh, of Asgul. Yeah. And there's not a, a lot of... Like, it doesn't see that much play in Modern. Or not Modern Legacy. I don't think it sees any Legacy play at all anymore. Um, it's kind of been power crept out of the format. The decks that, that would it was good in aren't that good anymore. So I think it would be fine. I think it'd be strong, like you were saying. Um, but I think the format would also adjust, and it would kind of weave in and out. Like sometimes it just wouldn't be that good to play. Yep. Um. So yeah, I'll give it a pass. I I put it on the uh, the other side of the line that I would have put Minsk and Boo on. I think this card is strong, but not game breaking. I'd like to see it. Yeah, uh, I would as well. I'd, I'd like to see a lot of this, honestly. Um, I think Shardless Agent was the last one that got brought over to Modern. Yeah. So I guess now that we've talked about this, and uh, obviously if you guys weren't paying attention, obviously this isn't a real thing that they're doing. This is just in our own little hypothetical world. So uh, what do you think the chances of any of these specifically making it? I think the chances are incredibly high. Um... I don't know where, but somewhere down the line, they're going to want to reprint some of these cards, whether it be for uh, Commander Dollars' sakes, you know, the you know cards too expensive, and it's going to end up happening in a set that just happens to be modern legal. I don't think most of uh, these cards are going to make it, uh, but some of them certainly will be reprinted, and I think the chances that they eventually get reprinted in a modern legal set, like say Lord of the Rings, um, is I think it's realistic. I think that it will happen. It's just a matter of time. I just don't know which cards. Like, Dockside probably needs another reprint. It's probably just going to end up in a Commander set, though. Um, but who knows? You know, it could end up in a Lord of the Rings-style set that happens to be modern legal, and they just reprint it there as a uh, a place to throw the card because it either fits the theme or, you know, whatever it may be. I think we're going to see that somewhere. And I think... Uh, just moving forward, first off, I think this Lord of the Rings set is going to be very successful. Uh, the hype on Twitter has been super real. Uh, it is a, like a really fun, exciting set to look at and talk about. So uh, I'm excited, A, to do that probably next week. I have to figure out when the end of spoiler season is uh, for us to go over the set. But B, there's a lot of people talking about it where if it was just a commander set, like the Warhammer 40k was or whatever there wouldn't have been a reason to talk about it because they're 60-card players. They don't really play uh, Legacy or Vintage or Commander. 
So no real reason for them to even look at it or pay attention. And so, A, I think Wizards is going to realize if they open it up to a larger player base, then um, it's going to be bought more and make them more money, which I'm fine with. I mean, they're business. They're out to make money. Uh, B, I think that'd actually be better for Legacy because these four-player designs wouldn't be making their way into two-player games. And C, I think... uh, that's how we're going to get these in here is because I think a lot of them are going to get lumped into just, this is a modern only set. This is like a modern horizons. It's a modern and back set um, instead of being a commander set moving forward. That is my prediction. It might not be for a few years till that starts happening more regularly, but especially with the universes beyond looks like they have a pretty strong slate of those. Um, and they're going to probably want to make a lot of those ones that are actually full sets, modern legal. So people can play with them. So that's the whole point of them. So I think we will, maybe not these exact cards, but I do think we will see some. Sadly, I don't think Minskin Boo is going to be one of the ones we see. Uh, We're going to see a Minskin Boo reprint, but it's coming in a commander set. Yeah, that's uh, it's just going to be a commander card forever. Minskin Boo is uh, a themed card. It is, you know, it's from the Bioware Baldur's Gate games. Like, it's a character for it. It's going to be hard for them to find a place to shove that specific card without it just being a commander set. Well, I mean, they they would have to do another, like, um, D&D theme set. Yeah, like, and just make it modern, legal, and back instead of commander legal. Yeah. Like, um, but I doubt they're going to do that. Uh, and the other, the flip side, too, like, uh, so, like, for this, I don't know how much money they're paying to do a Lord of the Rings set, but it's a lot. Uh, the Tolkien family, they they charge a lot for you to use their uh, their IP. A lot, a lot. So, uh, they're going to want it to be open to as many people as possible, to sell as many as possible. Um, I'm almost surprised they didn't make it like a Pioneer forward or a Standard forward. I understand why not, because I mentioned from design, that'd be a real pain. Um, And they want the Universes Beyond to be a uh, premium set. But, yeah. Uh, So, for... But D&D, they own D&D. So, they're not going to charge themselves a bunch for it. But I think that wraps us up for the week. Unless there there any other cards you want to touch on? I want to give a couple of Cards that I think would be good to uh, see come. I think all of these are on the lower end power level, but are interesting. Uh, Urza's Workshop being one of them. Uh, it's a land Urza's. It taps for a colorless. It's got Metalcraft tap to add a colorless for each Urza's land you control. Uh, activate only if you have three or more artifacts because of Metalcraft. Uh, I think this would be a neat card to add, um, possibly bringing back, uh, you know, uh, another tool for the uh, Tron decks. I mean, it probably isn't good enough to uh, get in there, but I'd like to see it tried. Um, Vile Smasher is a really interesting card. Uh, it is one, a black and a red for a 2-3. Legendary Goblin Berserker. Whenever you cast your first spell each turn, it does damage equal to that spell's uh, converted mana cast to an opponent chosen at random. Well, in a two-player game, it's not hard to figure out which opponent it's going to be. And this can add up to a lot of damage pretty quick. 
uh, a card that you've definitely played with before and probably played against several times. Uh, Maddening Hex. We One. don't need that in modern. We you don't off. want that in modern? No. I love it. One red red for uh, an enchantment. It's an aura curse. You pick a player. Obviously, you'll pick your opponent. Whenever enchanted player casts a non-creature spell, roll a d6, and it does damage to them equal to the result. Uh, then it has to attach to a different opponent, which there won't be because, again, two-player game. Uh, this is an excellent uh, spell stopper card. Uh, really good way to finish out a game for a burn deck or a hard aggro deck. You cast this, and your opponents are going to be terrified to cast any spells at all. Um, I just don't want to roll dice, man. Like, this is, <laughs> this is magic. We're not playing crabs, okay? Like, and it's just, it feels so bad to lose two, and it feels bad to not win with when you're like, I just need to roll a three or higher here. Didn't get there. Um, yeah, but it, it is a... So I, I want to see a mix of powerful build-around cards along with, you know, cards that don't shut out the aggro decks. If you go with too many control and powerful, you know, build-around cards, aggro kind of falls out. And Maddening Hex is a card that aggro gets to slam down on the table and say, ha, don't forget about me. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like, it's a thing in modern, though. Like, what quote-unquote aggro decks are there right that's my point we we need cards like maddening hex so that those cards uh or those decks you know have a little more leverage like you 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 can't just play pure value because well you might just die to the burn deck cards like vile smasher and maddening hex have a lot of reach another cool aggro card that i think would be particularly awesome um is yoshimaru uh, for those who don't know, it is Yoshimaru Ever Faithful. It's one white for a 1-1 one, one legendary dog, which makes it immediately awesome. And it says, whenever another legendary permanent enters the battlefield under your control, put a 1-1 one, one counter on him. He also has partner, but you can ignore that because you're not playing him as a commander. Uh, I think he would be a good start to having a legendary like green-white or green-white-blue uh, legends deck that was more board-focused and would give you yet another way to block a uh, Ragavan. If you're on the play, you might even be able to make it big enough to, you know, not need to trade with a Ragavan. The issue is, I think you just play it with the Ragavan. You just dash uh, it yeah. over and over yeah. again. Certainly could do that, too. Um, there's uh, there's another legendary uh, that you can dash for one as well. Um, I can't remember his name. He's a two-mana card, and you can dash him for one. Yeah, I I mean, all those seem fine. I don't want to roll dice, though. Like, man. I don't mind dice. Dice are fine. You already got a whole slew of D6s there anyway for counters, so. Yeah, and it's not the, it's not the actual, like, having dice part. It's the fact that the dice are so important to the game, then. Like. They're yeah. not that important. Maddening like, Hex is an average of. Uh, three damage, three and a half damage when, when they cast a spell. If you roll a two, you're a touch on the low end. If you roll a four, you're a touch on the high end. And then, like, I've just seen it in Legacy, you know? Someone plays against it, and uh, roll six, six. Oops. I'm dead. Like... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. 
just a little more variance that I like. Like, there's enough variance in Magic. I don't want them. Don't think we need to add any more. But that's just my opinion. I want it. Plus, I like attaching things to my opponent. Yeah, well, we've talked about this before. Go back to, I don't remember what episode. It was like episode six. We had a whole conversation why Josh doesn't have friends. Because he's mean. I also like but, attaching things to me. Paradox Haze is one of my favorite cards. All right, guys. Don't forget, you can find the podcast on Twitter uh, at TOFA Podcast. You can email us at TOFA Podcast at gmail.com. I think tonight, Friday night, June 2nd, I plan on streaming some Magic the Gathering on Twitch for the first time ever. Uh, possibly. We'll see how that goes. Uh, you can find me, Brendan, at PlayDeerOuts at on Twitter. And Josh has a Twitter. We bullied him enough. Josh, where they can where can they find you? Uh Diabolic Goat. MTG. MTG. At Diabolic Goat MTG. And he will probably just be trolling people for talk crap about magic. That's right. Or or politics. Or politics. We won't get into the politics part of the show. But if you want to talk crap about magic, we can go at it. And I'm not cool with that. <laughs> bugs me, man. It still bugs me. You know what I'm talking about. We won't get into that here. Uh, anyways, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Uh, thanks for sticking around and listening. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe. Share with a friend. All that stuff's absolutely free to do. We bring you this content for free. Next week, I do believe we're going to be talking about Lord of the Rings, talking about all of our favorite cards. I'm very excited for the set. So make sure you check it out. And uh, have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you next time.